This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Good morning, church. If you need a Bible, we have Bibles, so you can raise your hand. We can get one to you if they've been sterilized. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 22. The title of today's message is Party Time. And when you think of heaven, (laughs) you might not think of it as party time, but I'm here to tell you this morning that it's party time. (laughs) It's going to be a good time. And this is one of my favorite illustrations by Jesus of what heaven's going to be like. He says it's going to be like a great wedding feast. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a great wedding feast. Now, there are negative parts to that, not part of you going to heaven, but connected to the people that are going to partake in that wedding feast and people that are not going to partake. But I think that for us, what the, there's a kind of a disconnect because we don't really understand or know what heaven's going to be like, do we? We may have our little weird things, like our little, I hope heaven is like this, or I hope heaven is like that. And, and I want to uh, reassure you this morning that, that according to the New Testament, we're not going to dive into this as a, its own Bible study theologically, but, but you are going to recognize people in heaven. You're going to know people in heaven. It's not like you're just going to be some kind of angel floating on a cloud playing a harp. That's not what heaven is like. Heaven is going to be exciting. It's going to be a celebration. And I think that maybe for us, there's, there's maybe a bit of a disconnect with the word party to heaven because it seems maybe like not as reverent as it should as it could be. But but um, so you and I are both on the same page. A wedding feast during this time in history was one of the most, if not the most glorious social event that you could be a part of. And it was not one day. It was it was. A number of days, up to a week, and it was a celebration for people. There was something; it was something that 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 you looked forward to, and that you were invited to. It was a huge celebration. Chapter twenty-two. Before we get into verse one, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning, and we thank you that it's a good word. We thank you that, that you comfort us with these words. We can take comfort in the expectation for tomorrow being good, and that not only is it good, but it's, it's incredible. It's a celebration. It's wonderful. 
And that's what you've called us to. So, Father, we pray that you would speak to us this morning, that we would have ears to hear, hearts to receive. We also thank you, Father, for that time of worship that we can offer you the fruit of our lips. We also want to take this time as an opportunity not to just be hearers of your word, but doers also and worship you through the application of your word in our lives. And then for the tithes and offerings that are made, Father, we pray that they would be honoring to you and that it would be from a heart of worship, not compulsion, but a desire to connect with you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, let's pause there for just a second. Do you appreciate that Jesus is speaking to people? Because I do. No matter where they're at, he's always willing to engage people, even if it's through parables. And the funny thing is that they knew what he was saying. If we remember the end of the last section last week, look at verse 45. Now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. Make no mistake, they knew what Jesus was talking about, and Jesus was very willing to meet them there and and to communicate to them truth in spite of the fact that they had already rejected him. And for me, I think, you know, like if I'm intellectually superior than somebody else, which I am of most people, that took way longer than it should have. I don't necessarily need to engage them, you know, because so much craziness is going on in the world and they have, people have really dumb things to say and I'm like, well, I'm way smarter than you, so I don't even have to address the issue that you're dealing with. And how much more could Jesus have just been? You guys are just, I mean, and he said it sometimes. He's like, well, <laughs> something wrong with y'all over there. <laughs> you're not getting it. But his willingness to engage people on their level and even if it's even if it's negative it's still truth and he directs them in the in the correct direction and he's continuing to share with them he's going to share primarily with three different groups this morning that we're going to look at the Pharisees the Herodians and the uh, Sadducees He spoke to them again by parables, and he continues to speak. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. Say with me together this morning, arranged a marriage. God or the king arranged a marriage. And maybe from our perspective, we think, oh, stay away from arranged marriages. No, that's not the the point. The point is that God intended He arranged something to happen, to take place. He purposed by his sovereignty to set something up. And that is good news for his son. And send out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Number one, this is the first invitation. And right away after the invitation goes out, it says that people were unwilling to to come. Having a conversation um, with somebody a couple weeks ago and talking about 
heaven and hell and how some people are struggling with this concept of how a holy, righteous God can send somebody to hell for eternity. And, and a friend of mine put it this way, does the punishment fit the crime? That's a great question. Listen, God, we need to all be on the same page scripturally. God doesn't send anybody to hell. People choose to go there. And we're going to look more in depth at this concept this morning as we, as we uh, dig into it a little bit. But the invitation goes out and is to be, to, to be called to the wedding feast. And God isn't look, looking at people and, and, and grabbing people and stoking the fires of hell like some people believe. Because the Bible also says that God does not delight in the death of the ungodly. How does that make sense? If I'm God and somebody rejects me and they're ungodly, I'm going to delight in sending them to hell, right? No, God doesn't. He doesn't delight in death at all. We weren't created for that. We experience it, but God does not take delight in the death of the ungodly. God desires to engage people in relationship. And not only in relationship for today, but God desires to engage people in relationship for all eternity. There has to be the human element of response for the gospel to have any kind of value. If there's no opportunity for response in the gospel, then the relationship had doesn't have very much value. Speaking of arranged, do you think if I make my wife love me? You think I make her? You better believe I make her. I'm just kidding. I don't make her. I mean, look at me. It's easy to love me. It's reciprocal. It's relationship. It's God engaging people. And he says, I want you to come to be part of the party. I want you to, to celebrate with me. There's nothing that we can imagine. As hard as we try and however you'd like to take your little things and put them in heaven, there's nothing that you can imagine that heaven is going to be like than God has set it up to be, how God has set it up to be. That's why it's a running joke. So if you don't like my joke I'm about to say, don't get offended because it's just a joke. But I can't stand that song I could only imagine. You know that worship song? I hate that song. You know why? Because you can't. You can only imagine. You can go in your wildest dreams and think of whatever you, you cannot imagine. Listen to this. What God has prepared for you. You think of this, think of a king. Go to the next level. Think of the king of kings saying, I'm going to have a party and you're invited. And we haven't gotten to it yet, but let's look at verse four. Again, second invitation. After the first, I'd be like, you losers are out of here. God, again, second invitation. Again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed. All things are ready. Come to the wedding. Second invitation goes out. And the king says, I've, I've prepared a place for you. You know, that verse that Jesus says, it's better for me to leave 
than to stay here. Because first of all, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit, which is given. And I can't, the Father can't send that until I leave. But also, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Like God is intentionally preparing something for me that I'm going to take joy in. Now, I kind of want to pause right there for a second, because think of it this way. You know, when you prepare things for your, let's say, kids or for somebody, don't you usually want to present it well? Don't you want it to be special? I give my kids bad gifts on purpose. No, I don't. I give my, how much more? Jesus said, you being wicked fathers, give good gifts to your children. You give good gifts. To, uh, side story, I didn't say this in the first in the first. Um, service, but I want to share with you. Went to a birthday party once for this little boy. I think he was turning like three or four, and he was kind of, okay, he was a brat. This kid was super brat kid, and we were walking down the road, and um, Grace had bought him a whole bunch of stickers and stuff, and I'm like, I'm not getting that kid no present. You know, he's a little brat kid. And we're walking down the road and I, I saw a rock and I thought, hey, I'll, you know, give him a rock. So I got the rock and I put it in my pocket. We got to the party. I know I'm a horrible person. So, and we get to the party and every, he's opening gifts. And I was the last one. I said, hey, buddy, guess what I got you for your birthday? He's like, what? And I was like, a rock, a pet rock. And he's like, yeah, he took that rock. His mom was so mad at me because for the rest of the day, he named and played with his pet rock. So it's all about perception, right? I mean, we can think that the, the gifts that God has intended for us aren't good gifts, but we're always wrong. No matter what they are, God always gives good gifts. And, and think of it this way as well. Um, you're not just getting by here on earth. You've been given good, abundant life now, and the best is yet to come. The King of Kings is preparing. And, and then right when we get there, it's going to be a big party, a celebration. And you know what? There's going to be food. He says, I've killed the fatted calf and I've prepared the table. I like food. You guys look like you like food as well, most of you. Can you imagine the table that God has prepared for you? What kind of feast that's going to be? It's going to be a whole table full of double-doubles or whatever. It's not just my preference. It's connected to God's goodness. And he says, hey, guys, come, come to the feast. Come to the wedding of my son. I've prepared a table for you. And whatever your expectation is, he goes exceedingly and abundantly above what you could ask or think. I can only imagine. You cannot only imagine. You cannot conceive. It has not entered into the heart of man what good and perfect things God has in store for those who love him. And you're invited. You're invited to the celebration But they made light of it, went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. When the king heard about it, he was furious. Notice the response, and it hasn't changed in 2,000 years. 
the invitation is given. And then what was the first thing that's listed that it says? It says, some made light of it. It's a joke. As if what the king has prepared is anything to be compared with what you go through on a daily basis. Because I know people that they, they take the things of mortality, they take the things of, of corruption and hold on to it like it has some kind of value. Oh, this is precious to me, my precious. And then it see the imperative is very direct. I, uh, they went to his own farm, very specific, the language. I want to I focus on and, and meditate and, and, and keep hold of the things that are mine, not the good gifts that the king has to offer, him, offer me. I'm going to my, harm, my farm. I'm going to take care of my business. And, and another to his business. <clears throat> Mind your own business, king. I've got my own business to attend to. And how very, very often, even people that refer to themselves as believers, they can be more about their own business than, than what's being, has been prepared for them for all of eternity. Because we're not just talking about today, we're trusting him for tomorrow, but I'd like to say the day after is like the eternity, the day after. He's done everything good and well and perfect for, for every area, for every day, for today, abundant life in access, and tomorrow, and then for all of eternity. But we, we get a taste of it now. We get a little glimpse of the glory, and those things that, that speak to the future goodness of God. Sometimes we want to hold on to those things more tightly than the future good things of God. I shared this on Wednesday night. I was talking to somebody who, we, you know, we were discussing some things, and I don't know if you guys heard this or not. I don't, probably shouldn't even say it, but... Um, I heard a rumor last week, and that's what was being said. People were saying a rumor that um, we were going to be, the, the, the governor was going to shut down the whole state, and we were going to go back to phase one on Friday. Well, now it's Sunday, and he didn't do anything. So, And we were talking, and, and um, I said something about, oh, this thing or that thing, and that stinks. That's pretty, pretty bad. And he said, well, you know. It's only going to get worse. And I said, you shut your mouth. I will not receive that. And I know for a fact that it's not only not getting worse, but it's only going to get better from here out. And even if the worst of the worst, can I yell at you guys for a second? Even if the worst of the worst happens tomorrow, you get to inherit the best of the best the next day. It doesn't get any better than that. If the worst of the worst happens now, it, for you and for me, it only gets better. And I know that some people don't want to hear that, but you better have ears to hear. It's only going to get better. And you know what? It's only July. And then August is going to come. And what comes after August? September. And then what's after September? October. And then the dreaded November. And I want to tell you right now, this morning, today, I need you to receive this. No matter what happens in November, you and I both know what I'm talking about. 
No matter what happens in November, God still has good things prepared for his children. For, for November, my birthday's in November. It's going to be a good month. For November and for the rest of eternity. Because our God only gives good gifts to his children. Don't buy into the fear-mongering. Don't buy into the doubters. Don't buy into the haters. You've been invited to the feast. A feast not only that he has just arbitrarily, nonchalantly thrown together. It's what I had in my fridge, kids. Enjoy. It's been prepared. Prepared for your good. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. Now, this is a direct, and we'll see more so, but this is a direct hit to the Pharisees and Sadducees, the ruling religious elite. Because how many times have you invited somebody to a party, and then the person that you asked to go ask somebody to come to the party got killed because of it? Hey, you want to go come over to my house for dinner? Boom! No, it's, it's an extreme example because this is what the nation of Israel did to the prophets throughout history. Every time God sent somebody and said, God loves you, his heart's for you, worship and serve him. Don't go and be so concerned about your own farm and your own business. Like God wants you to be included in his family. And they murdered the prophets. They tr treated them horribly. But when the king heard about it, he was furious and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready. Third invitation, if you're keeping track, the wedding is ready. But those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways and as many as you find invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. I love that that last verse says that so specifically. You guys understand that the, the Bible is communicated, the Word of God is communicated to us very intentionally. It says that all were invited and many came bad and good because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of grace, God's unmerited favor. Now, if, if you were to have two different categories of bad and good and you'd say, Tim Warholic, which category he's in? He's in the bad category, for sure, 100%, but still invited. Because if it was not for God's grace, I wouldn't be standing here talking to you this morning. Who I am as a person, inherently, I am a person that sets goals and, and I need to succeed. I thrive in the environment where somebody says to me, Tim, you can't do that. I say, oh, yeah? You don't think so? You don't think I can do that? And, and I, I, I will not rest until that thing is accomplished. That's the kind of person I am. And that's who I was as an early believer, too. I was like, God, just give me the checklist of things I need to do. What do I need to do? I'm going to do it. I'm going to succeed. I'm going to thrive. And God said, you you can do nothing, Timothy. Nothing. There's nothing that you can do to earn or garner my favor. There's no success. There's no plan for you. You just do what I say. 
obedience. And he so ingrained the message of grace in my life that he gave me a wife whose name was not only grace, but uh, epitomized what grace looks like. All the time, even now, after 15 years of marriage, I'm like, why are you so nice to people? They don't deserve your grace. I'm like, that's the point. I got it, God. To remind me on a regular basis that it's nothing that I have accomplished. It's nothing I have attained. Inherently, I'm a bad person, but I've been invited. I've accepted the invitation, and and I rest in his goodness towards me. Because he prepared a place. He prepared a heart for me to engage with him. And there's no way I can ever stand on my own works before him. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. And I'm in awe of him on a regular basis. And I was talking to a brother the other day who he said a song came on and it choked him up. He got choked up. And there's different things that the Lord has communicated to each and every single one of us, I believe. There's that moment where we, it, the, it, the heaviness hits us for whatever, in whatever way. But for me, when it hits me, like that it really, you know, like hits me that, that God chose me. That he said, I love you. I want you. And, and connected to that that mindset of works is why why did you why do you want me god why do you want me why did you make room why did you prepare for me and the magnitude of his 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 goodness his glory just overshadows every part of my life at that moment and i just break down and weep but by the grace of god go i connected to everybody else. And the only thing I need to worry about is is that personal relationship that I can have with a God that has prepared good things for me and engage in them. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now, I believe this verse highlights and speaks of our human responsibility to respond to the invitation. We don't just get to come to God on our own terms. It's through Jesus Christ and his righteousness that we're clothed in that we enter into the wedding feast and the celebration with God. And many people think that they can pick and choose or cherry pick the things that the Bible says and apply them to their life when, when number one, it's through Jesus Christ that we engage and have a relationship with God. But also it's by our response, how we respond to the invitation that we are also accepted. Think of it this way. Think of the verse, when somebody looks in the mirror and then 
turns away, they immediately forget what they look like. And what verse is that referencing? It's referencing the, the being doers of the word of God, not hearers only. And I love that illustration because it's so, it's so technically accurate. See, of all of you this morning who are sitting here, I can see maybe a couple people. I won't call you out by name. But maybe there's a couple of you who rolled out of bed, slipped your clothes on, and came to church this morning without looking in the mirror. But most of you, first thing that you did is you get out of bed and you go to the restroom and you look at yourself in the mirror to make sure that you are presentable so that you can go out in public and people are like, you know, wow, that person looks like a presentable person. Like, hey, uh, they got ready. One of my favorite quotes from Pastor Chuck Smith, don't shoot the messenger, I'm just quoting him. When he was asked on whether women should wear makeup, Pastor Chuck Smith's response was, if the barn needs painting, paint it. His words, not mine. What's, what's he referencing? If there's something that needs to be brought to attention, then, then bring it to attention so that, you can, so that you can respond to it. True faith in God's word is applying it and doing what his word says. It's not acting like we can go out and do whatever we want. It's the human response to the invitation. We need to respond well, too. If we're invited and if we're responding to the invitation, then we should be also willing to take that and to give it to others. It's the representation of the invitation, if that makes sense. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. I always kind of chuckle at that verse because the Pharisees, you know, they're trying to figure out how to entangled Jesus Christ. By the way, what's another name for Jesus? John chapter 1. The Word of God. <laughs> it's going to try to trick Jesus into saying something that he shouldn't say. Try and entangle Jesus in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth, nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Now, the Pharisees and the Herodians weren't on the same page, but now they're joining forces to come against Jesus. And the Herodians are those people that are politically geared, politically motivated. Can I get a witness? We don't need to title anybody this morning, but the Herodians were the politically geared ones that were represented more of the earthly kingdom than what Jesus is communicating to them, the heavenly kingdom. And they, this, this compliment, they're trying to puff Jesus up. Oh, you are so true and teach the way of God in truth, nor do you care about anyone, uh, for you do not regard the person of men. They're trying to butter him up to get him to say something that he, you know, he choose sides, really, which is how you cause division. Have you noticed that? These days, a real easy way to cause division is to tell somebody that they have to choose sides. Can I tell you this morning, you don't have to choose a side? You don't have to choose a side. I don't choose sides. I say, oh, I do choose a side, actually. I'm like, you know, I'm more concerned about the wedding feast that I'm going to partake in and the kingdom of heaven that I'm a part of. I'm not saying that you don't engage culturally in, in um, 
elections or voting or anything. I'm just saying the emphasis, if, if people are trying to cause division, the emphasis is, is disengaging. And this is exactly what Jesus does. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And the question does happen to be politically motivated. But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. You always got to love when Jesus calls people hypocrites. This is actually the biblical definition of hypocrite. Here these people come to him, and hypocrites is to put a mask on and put on a show, act like you're somebody else. They come to him to trick him, and they say, you're the best, you speak truth, what's your opinion? He said, you guys are hypocrites. You're, you're acting, you're playing a part, and you're hypocrites. And he tells them right to their face, show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius, and he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? He said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Then they had heard these words, they marveled, and they left him and went their way. See, the things of mortality, the things that are temporal, that people put such a high value on, God doesn't value. Hey, if that's Caesar's, if that's his inscription, give it to Caesar. But give to God what is God's. Do you know whose image you are created in? You know what he was saying to them? You guys are created in the image of God, yet you've forsaken your identity and you would rather align with a political party. Give yourself to God. You are his. This is something that you can say to your kids too. I'm like, hey, you bratty kids, whose image are you created in? That's right. Render to daddy what is daddy's. By the way, everything's mine. I'm just kidding. No, it's just a... You are God's children created in his image and jesus is communicating to, to them something greater than just a temporal truth that they were so hung up on the same day verse 23 the sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and asked him saying teacher moses said that if a man dies having no children his brother shall marry his wife and raise off offspring for his brother now we saw the first two parties, the Herodians and the Pharisees, and now we see the Sadducees, and it says here in the text for us that they're asking him a question that's contrary to what they believe. Do you notice how if some people are non-believers or they don't want to, they, they go and try to put up all these straw man arguments, all these really disjointed, disconnected from the truth of God to prove why they're not? I'm like, that doesn't even make any sense. So these guys, they don't believe in the resurrection. So they're asking him a question that's supposed to stumble him or trip him up about the resurrection. And this is the reason that they were, they were, they were Sadducees, because they didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see. I told that joke before. I'm just kidding. I say it all the time. They were sad, you see. If a man dies and has no children, his brother marries his wife and raises up offspring for his brother. Now there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he married and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also. The third, even to the seventh, Jesus. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose life of the seven will she be? For they all had her. This is quite the conundrum there bring into him. Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. 
This is the answer. I know he's going to go into some more detail. We're going to look at that. But this is the answer. You are mistaken not knowing the scriptures. Now, take, take this, you know, into consideration. These people dedicated their lives. That's all they did is study, 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 study. And some people that I know that study, study, study are some of the dumbest people that I know. Well, in the sense of rejecting the truth of God. He says, you do not know the scriptures, and then here's the kicker, nor the power of God, the supernatural element. See, the resurrection is the fulfillment of all the promises of God to us. Paul says, if we've not been resurrected, we're the stupidest people on the planet. If Jesus wasn't resurrected and that's the hope that we have in the future, then there's something wrong with us. Of course, our hope is in the resurrection. Of course, it's something that we look forward to. It's the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, and are, but are like angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. See, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were all dead, question mark. He says, I'm not the God of the dead. I'm the God of the living. And they heard this. They were astonished at his teaching. Now, I had some trouble when I got to this verse. And I had a sit-down, stern conversation with Grace about it. I said, okay, when we get to heaven... We might not be married, but you're still my best friend. And if you start hanging out with any angels or anybody else more than you hang out with me, there's going to be some serious consequences when we get there. And she agreed. We even shook on it. So heaven is going to be understandably connected to having relationships. This is why you're going to be able to recognize people in heaven. You're going to continue to have relationships in heaven. It's just going to look differently than how it does here. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them. Now notice, everybody's asking Jesus questions. Now it's time for Jesus to ask a couple questions. Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he son? his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. You see, the, the, the thing with Jesus is that he kind of sets him up. Of course, everybody's going to say the son of David, but what they're missing, the point that they're missing, and something that Jesus said frequently is that how, how was it that that he could be referred to, his father referred to him as the Lord, because it's not the 
son of David. It's the son of God that's going to be Messiah. And nobody, David was the greatest king in Israel. I mean, undisputed heavyweight king of Israel, the best. And it's going to be, it's going to be King David's son. And then we, we, we lower the bar of humanity to a man that we're in 2 Samuel right now. And this Wednesday is the, the great Bathsheba debacle. We're lowering the bar mortality-wise to a man who, who still made mistakes and fell short. And then you have Jesus presenting himself as the son of God. And it doesn't get any higher than that, guys. It doesn't get any better than that. The son of God who has said that he's going away to prepare a place for you and for I for all of eternity. And oh, what is that going to look like? It's going to be greater than anything you can ever imagine. Paul said it would be illegal for him to try to communicate in earthly language what heaven was like when he saw it. It would be, he, he, if he tried to put it into words, he should be arrested and thrown in jail. It's inconceivable. You cannot compare anything to it. Any little thing that we have that, that gives us a glimpse of it is just that. It's just a tiny little glimpse. And God's intention is for you to have it. And not only the leftovers, I hate leftovers. Grace knows that I like fresh food. He's prepared a table for you, intentionally prepared and ordained. So don't think of tomorrow. Don't be affected today by what people are saying and talking about for tomorrow. For a minute, I was a little bummed about, you know, I was not looking forward to Friday. Uh, what are we going to do now? You know, we're going to have to navigate through another. And then very quickly, man, it's so dumb. Don't worry about tomorrow. Enjoy the gift that you've, given, you've been given today and expect more to come tomorrow. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the good and perfect gifts that you give your children, and we thank you that we can identify as such. We can identify as your kids knowing that that if even wicked fathers on earth desire to give good gifts to their children, how much more our Father in heaven? And this thing that you've prepared for us, this thing that we get to taste of now, we get to taste of slightly, lightly, it's going to get even better. And it's going to get better while we're here, but it's also going to get even better when we're with you fully seeing, face-to-face, -face, understanding. And even though we can't really imagine, we thank you for putting that little secret place of hope in our hearts of what we can expect. What we can expect comes from you because you're a good father. Pray that you bless your church father, my brothers and sisters here who are here this morning, I pray that you rise them up, empower them with the Holy Spirit to go out and to give the good news invitation. 
that we would do it well, that we would be representatives, that we would represent the invitation well for your glory and alone by your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. No.